I'm Dr. Randall Gates. Again, just to repeat it, board-certified chiropractic neurologist, also a chiropractic physician, and I've just opened a location down here in Henderson, Nevada, uh, Gates Way to Health location. Today we're talking about fibromyalgia specifically. We're going to go into some of the really the, the background information as to how I got into this and working with patients who have chronic pain, some of the aspects of my own story. But the real focus of today is for you to understand if you do have fibromyalgia or a chronic pain condition, that your condition is real, the science is backing it up, and even though there may be tremendous misconceptions out there in the mainstream healthcare community about the condition, um, we're here to tell you that it's real, and I'm going to talk a lot about that and the components of it. So a little bit about my story. Uh, I did have a back injury in high school, um, really did not want to see anyone for it outside the medical profession. Finally, I was on my last legs. I couldn't play sports anymore, and I saw a chiropractor, and my back was better in four visits. Kind of one of those miraculous stories. And uh, ultimately, I ended up going to chiropractic school, but I was going to drop out in the first two weeks just because maybe my philosophy wasn't identifying with some of my peers. Uh, I had a biology degree, and some elements weren't quite making sense in terms of helping chronic pain. So I was going to drop out and go to medical school. However, then one of my teachers said, wait, this gentleman is coming in who's going to speak about chiropractic neurology. And I I watched what he was doing. He was helping patients with chronic pain, many of you. And he was helping patients with severe neurological conditions. And I said, well, that's what I want to do. So specifically, what a chiropractic neurologist does is we look at the brain and the parts of the brain that are not functioning properly properly. And we also look to see where the inflammation is coming from in your body to imbalance certain areas in your brain. And this will make more sense when we get into the discussion on fibromyalgia. But in doing so, then we try to rehabilitate the brain. Think of a a concussion. This is the, the easiest analogy. With a concussion patient, they have a brain injury. You get that. There's inflammation in the brain. And if that inflammation subsides, basically, their concussion symptoms go away. But what we're finding with the post-concussion patients is that they have this chronic inflammatory brain condition that keeps the neurological dysfunction going. So you can do, just talk to patients this week, you can do anti-inflammatory strategies for that. It may work. I see a lot of patients where it doesn't work. You can then go in and do brain rehab exercises. But if you're not addressing that inflammatory component, then it's going to be really difficult to get to the bottom of. So that's the basic paradigm of working as a chiropractic neurologist. And when it comes to fibromyalgia, just a little outlay, what you need to know is with fibromyalgia, the major tenets are a history of trauma or abuse earlier in life. We're going to talk about that because that can set the stage for priming your fight-flight response to be overactive for the remainder of an individual's life. Also, other factors include... Food intolerances, we're going to discuss the infamous gluten, and I'll tell you that gluten is just the tip of the iceberg. And we're also going to discuss connections to irritable bowel syndrome. We'll talk about sleep and how sleep disturbance can really affect your pain levels. That's pretty well known in the fibromyalgia world. Brain fog. So many fibromyalgia patients, they have pain all over their body, but the brain fog is most severe. And then we're going to go into the thyroid and then lastly, how nerve damage has been shown in the fibromyalgia patient population and what this means to you as a sufferer. So all very, very exciting stuff. And some of you are very aware of fibromyalgia. Others are not. 
So if you're not aware of fibromyalgia, what is it? Fibromyalgia is where an individual has pain all over their body. Lots of times they're even the pressure from their shirt will hurt or a seat belt will be extremely painful. The pressure from pants when sitting can cause exquisite pain. And there's associated fatigue commonly, sleep disturbance, brain fog where you just have a hard time thinking, your thoughts are not clear, associations with irritable bowel syndrome and depression. And what I find is that a lot of fibromyalgia patients come in they say, well, you know, my doctor diagnosed me with depression. And I mean, wouldn't you be depressed if you felt this way? And so it's the whole, the whole, uh, chicken or the egg argument, so to speak, as to what is causing the dysfunction. The depression is that causing the pain or is the pain causing the depression? Now, in the medical world, uh, or let's say the mainstream healthcare community, fibromyalgia is met with tremendous criticism. The problem being is that so many of you look absolutely normal. And on top of that, the standard tests, the MRI tests are normal. Your blood tests overall are normal. And you heard me mention thyroid dysfunction. So many patients are going to say, well, I have my thyroid checked and it was normal. And what I will tell you is that you most likely, in my experience, have not had the right thyroid test run and interpreted correctly to know if you have a thyroid connection to your fibromyalgia. Now, that may sound like an audacious comment, and we'll back it up later on in the show. And so here you are. You have this chronic unrelenting pain. It's severe. It's exquisite. It's ruining your life. Frequently, fibromyalgia patients end up disabled. They have a hard time working. Spouses have a hard time understanding. Why can't you just, you know, toughen up? You need to get through it. Everybody has pain. These are the things that you're told. And, you know, you're just depressed. And this leaves a lot of fibromyalgia patients wondering. It leads them to question themselves about the validity of even their own experiences from a, from a healthcare standpoint. Going further, for the fibromyalgia patient, though, you need to understand the other side of the argument. You need to understand where the mainstream healthcare community is coming from when you're approaching doctors. Um, let me read you a few quotes. This one is out of uh, Kelly's textbook of rheumatology, which is really the gold standard book in rheumatology for any doctor who's, who's focusing in that area. And I will say is my training was in chiropractic. I'm a chiropractor. But with my focus in chiropractic neurology, we have a pretty good extensive education in the field of rheumatology. Now, in this textbook, they say fibromyalgia is a bitterly controversial disorder. What is it about fibromyalgia that provokes such venom and ire? And then going on, rarely, if ever written about, but often spoken about within small groups of physicians and medical workers, fibromyalgia patients are often identified and characterized by unusual behaviors and psychological characteristics. They go on in this chapter in fibromyalgia by saying, and in this textbook, in all fairness, the authors are quoting different authors to try and present the, the differing views, so to speak. Uh, so they said, suffering, dot, 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 is exacerbated by a self-perpetuating, self-validating cycle in which common, endemic, somatic, that means your body, symptoms are incorrectly attributed to serious abnormality i.e., it means you're faking it. It means that you are basically an emotional mess, and that's what's causing you to have so much pain. And this is a real travesty that this line of thinking is still out there. And just for a little more understanding where the mainstream healthcare community practitioners are coming from is that they see, especially before this whole opiate crisis has gone down, if you don't know about that, look it up. So now doctors 
aren't able to prescribe the opiates like they used to. There were guidelines where they had to prescribe opiates, otherwise it was malpractice and not managing someone's pain. Now, you know, government regulation is shifting dramatically and rapidly, especially here in the state of Nevada, where now prescribing opiates is um, extremely difficult. So now, but for the background, doctors were faced with giving drugs like opiates to fibromyalgia and, and talking to a lot of doctors. I have a lot of friends who are doctors. I have a lot of friends who are in the mainstream medical community. They would say, yeah, it seems like a lot of these fibromyalgia patients are drug seekers. That's, that's what they see. Now, on the flip side, you as a fibromyalgia patient, you're just looking for solutions. You're looking for answers. You're depending on the healthcare community to help you, right? That's what we all did. We go to the doctor when we're young and we get an antibiotic when we're sick. We get a, a pill for our ill. So with this, the fibromyalgia patient is left to go to their, usually their family practitioner, their general practitioner. Their general practitioner may put you on medications, maybe antidepressants, maybe something like Cymbalta or Lyrica. And then they send you to the rheumatologist, the rheumatologist, which is the arthritis specialist. Uh, They're there to make sure that you don't have something like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or something called Sjogren's syndrome, which is where the eyes and the mouth get really dry, like horribly dry, or scleroderma. They're there to do all that testing. Now, some rheumatologists uh, enjoy treating fibromyalgia patients. Others do not. There's a fantastic article I recommend to all of you out there. Uh, you can search this. His name was, or his name is John Lutketmeyer. He's out of Florida. He's a rheumatologist. And he goes on to say that rheumatologists are not the specialists for fibromyalgia patients. He says there's no problem in diagnosing them. But as a rheumatologist, he really didn't have good skills to or good tools in his uh, tool bag, so to speak, as we say at the clinical armamentarium to help these patients. And really he went on to say how so many of the medical treatments, especially at the time of writing that article were not effective for the, the average fibromyalgia patient. So that's kind of the background story. for. All right, we're back. Dr. Randall Gates, board-certified chiropractic neurologist, also a chiropractic physician at Gates Way to Health. We're, today we're talking about fibromyalgia. If you missed the first uh, 12 minutes or so, you can go back and listen to that. In essence, we summarize kind of my background and really the misunderstanding in the world for fibromyalgia patients. And fibromyalgia is part of the spectrum. I mean, it's really 2 to 8% of the U.S. population. When you look at the high estimates of around 8%, that's pretty significant. And we have a chronic pain epidemic here in America where uh, current estimates are around 160 million Americans have chronic pain. And the chronic pain epidemic, there are lots of times aren't good mainstream solutions for the chronic pain. Acute pain, yes, but the chronic pain is more difficult. And so today we're going into how the brain affects pain. And we're going to touch on stress now, stress as it pertains to fibromyalgia patients. Now, many fibromyalgia patients, as I mentioned, may have anxiety, may have depression. Is it chicken or the egg? I think it's more a secondary effect of the overall biochemical and physiological condition in their body. But going to stress, uh, researchers have noticed that there's a significant overlap between history of early life circumstances that are adverse as well as child abuse, all forms, physical, sexual, mental, emotional abuse, and this condition of fibromyalgia. A great article, and I sometimes I'm a little pedantic, meaning I cite research articles because 
again, these may sound like audacious comments. These You may have never heard these comments before, so I like to give references so that people can go back and, and really double-check what I'm saying. And this came from the article, Pain Research Management, uh, 2017. The title of the article is Self-Reported Childhood Maltreatment and Traumatic Events Among Israeli Patients Suffering from Fibromyalgia and Rheumatoid Arthritis. Background on that, that's important because a lot of the studies on this issue have been done in the United States as well as Germany and Europe. So this was one of the main articles coming out of Israel. And in essence, they found very similar statistics uh, as we've seen in other studies. Significantly here, for you as the fibro sufferer to know, the prevalence of probable PTSD among fibro sufferers, 37.3%, whereas it was only 8.7% in rheumatoid arthritis patients. So that's a staggering statistic when you're saying upwards of 40% of fibromyalgia patients have post-traumatic stress disorder. That's a big, big, big uh, statistic there. And then what I will say in working with so many fibromyalgia patients, if it isn't PTSD relating to earlier in life, it may be ongoing adult stress, running a business, uh, losing a business, losing houses during the housing crash. These were the factors that I saw that kept perpetuating the stress cycle. And you need to know that the stress hormones are, in the research articles, they're seeing that they affect pain reflexes. So to understand pain, pain is not necessarily a one-to-one relationship. Most of us have that that model, that thought. So you stab your hand, you're going to have pain, right? Well, that's the acute model for pain. But when you look at pain reflexes neurophysiologically, we find that 75% of the pain nerves in your body don't even make it to the higher cortical processing areas of your brain. So 75% of the pain nerves are never actually reaching the part of your brain where you can perceive them as pain. And you also need to know that there are lots, there are duplicate mechanisms within your spinal cord as well as your brain to help your body shut off pain. And this was the first concept within the world of fibromyalgia to come up with an explanation as to how somebody could be suffering with these symptoms when they were otherwise appearing to be normal. It's called central sensitization, central pain syndromes. That's how it's referred to and how our natural mechanisms that prevent us from feeling pain get overwhelmed, possibly from all the stress hormones, the pain reflexes become too much, and then the person begins to feel pain all over their body. So a trigger point, for example, a shoulder problem then expands to involve the entire mid-back, and then it involves the entire back, and then it spreads to the gluteal area. And the next thing the individual knows, their their legs are hurting, their neck is hurting, they have headaches, and they have all these other associated symptoms. So that's where stress is so, so significant. Lots of times people want to know what we do about it. So at Gateway to Health, we look intensively at frontal lobe function. We use a variety of neurological assessments as well as oculomotor assessments. And uh, eye movements, basically for you as the layperson, you need to know that eye movements is one of the most well-researched aspects of neurological function that we have to date. And so we can really discern what's going on with your frontal lobes and then how the frontal lobes can maybe modulate that fear center. Now, every patient's different. I I refer a ton in this world when it comes to PTSD and fibromyalgia patients. So, And as I go through the other topics, you need to realize that some fibromyalgia patients don't have PTSD. Some fibromyalgia patients mainly have a thyroid issue. Some fibromyalgia patients just have nerve damage that I'm going to go into later on. Whereas uh, with this PTSD topic, when it's severe... I will co-manage with psychiatrists. I will co-manage with psychologists, social uh, social workers, EMDR practitioners, hypnotherapists, 
this community is incredibly important for fibromyalgia patients because your specific needs need to be addressed. This fibromyalgia, is it an umbrella condition? It kind of is because there are so many disparate underlying causes to it, PTSD being one of the main ones. But we have to get to that stress response because what I found is in working with patients that have fibromyalgia, if you don't get to that stress response and a person continues in stressful circumstances, for example, taking care of a, a loved one who was physically abusive to them in childhood, there's always that PTSD reflex that's getting initiated when interacting with that individual. That's what I found. So that's where I refer to the mental health specialists. And mental health has such a pejorative connotation in our society. And really, it shouldn't, but it does, which is why a lot of people try to be stoic about this issue. I'm not knocking that. But the stoicism doesn't facilitate less times correcting the problem. So that's how I go about the PTSD connection. Now, let's take a question. Here we have a question from, uh, and this is on Facebook. So you can go to our Facebook page, Gates Way to Health. And again, it's Gates, G-A-T-E-S, Way to Health. And here I have a question. They say, Dr. Gates, I don't know if this is something you can help with, but I feel like I am so tired much of the time. But then I can't sleep at night. It feels like a never-ending cycle where I'm constantly exhausted, trying to exercise and eat decent, but still always tired. And fibromyalgia patients are so commonly told, oh, you need to exercise. That's the one <laughs> therapy that keeps coming up in the literature that's recommended to fibro patients, which I've, it's laughable for many of you because you can't exercise. You're so fatigued, you can barely get through your daily routines. You're in so much pain, it's hard to walk, and yet you're supposed to get out there and exercise. And I would say those who can exercise, um, you know, that's fantastic. Maybe maybe you're a little less severe on the spectrum, but I, I can't say that definitively. But so anyways, relative to this question, not being able to sleep and always being tired, the current literature on insomnia demonstrates that the fear center in the brain, it's called the amygdala, fires off like a firecracker. And when it's firing off like a firecracker at night, that leads to an individual not being able to sleep. Highly, highly, highly important. So if you can't sleep, you can't recover. And new research is showing that with fibromyalgia patients, the pain inhibitory chemicals I talked about before, things like morphine that many of you know, uh, serotonin can be one, norepinephrine, but think of morphine, the opiates. Our brain produces them. Well, the brain stem, where a lot of these chemicals are produced from, is affected when people are not sleeping, which is highly, highly, highly important to you. So now you're not sleeping, then you're not making the right pain inhibitory chemicals. Now you're fatigued during the day. You're so tired, but you can't sleep. And you can't sleep because your mind can't shut off because this fear center is like an evil dictator that's driving the show in the wrong direction. So that's, that's really the situation why this individual may be so tired. Again, I haven't assessed their individual case. Anytime I'm talking about questions, I'm speaking in generalities, but that's been my experience. So next, I think it's good for us to go into the infamous gluten, gluten and fibromyalgia. Gluten is another topic that evokes a lot of ire. So many people are going gluten-free these days. In 2014, I read an estimate that 100 million Americans, that's approximately one-third of our population, went gluten-free largely based on celebrities saying that they feel so much better, they're losing weight when they're gluten-free. So gluten-free has become a topic of healthy eating, so to speak. So being gluten-free is a healthy way to go. That's a conception out there. Well, while there are 
their factors for and against that argument. What I will say is that gluten can be a huge issue for fibromyalgia patients. I've seen it personally. So many of you now, if you've had fibromyalgia, I imagine many of you have tried going gluten-free. Most patients coming into my clinic now have gone gluten-free. And um, if it's going to work, it's going to work, and you're not going to end up in my clinic at this point. So I'm seeing the patients who go gluten-free, and maybe it's not working for But as a generality, a great article came out of Spain, Rheumatology International, in 2014, and they took 20 fibromyalgia patients. Now, for you science nerds out there, you may say, well, that's a very small sample size. Well, they're doing follow-up studies on this, and the connection to gluten is pretty profound as it relates to fibromyalgia. I have clipboards of articles for anybody who wants them. You can contact us at 833-DR-GATES. And really quickly, we've got a minute left. Um, what I will say is in this article, they took 20 fibromyalgia patients. They confirmed they all had gluten issues. They had signs of intestinal inflammation. They put them on gluten-free diets. I believe by eight months, don't quote me, but I believe by eight months, all of them were either back to work, functioning their daily lives, off pain medications. These were all considered successful outcomes. And the researchers concluded 20 out of 20 had improvements going gluten-free. So that's highly significant. How can that work? Well, you may be getting intestinal inflammation to the gluten that's spreading throughout your body, but your lab tests aren't going to say that you have rheumatoid arthritis or lupus. And so it's a, an autoimmune inflammatory process called a non-celiac gluten sensitivity or gluten-related disorder. And we'll go into how this affects the thyroid coming up. Again, free seminars in the month of March, 6 p.m. Thursdays, 10 a.m. Saturdays. You can also call for a free consultation and exam in the month of March, 833-DR-GATES, 833-DR-GATES. Call in 702-733-5968 for your questions. Thank you. Fibromyalgia patients, thank you, Jim. Fibromyalgia patients so often feel that they have pain in their joints, but yet when you see the rheumatologist and you go through the detailed lupus test, rheumatoid arthritis test, referred to as connective tissue disease tests, they're negative. And so how can the joints be so painful when all the blood tests are negative? And the new data coming out is showing a strong connection between this pain that fibromyalgia patients are experiencing and something called small fiber peripheral neuropathy. Think of pain nerves dying and degenerating. And it's a big concept. I'm going to go into that after this next break. But thank you, Jim, because that sets up the the final piece of today's show. Really, the tissue-confirmed lesion that so many fibromyalgia sufferers have been looking for for so long, you know, pain in the muscles, pain in the joints, what's wrong? Researchers have fallen short in being able to really create an explainable cause to the tissue problem until 2013. And I'll go into that a little bit later on. But right now, uh, and thanks again, Jim, we're going into fibromyalgia and the thyroid. So, so many of you are maybe screaming at your, your radio now. I've had my thyroid tested and it's normal. I'm on thyroid medication and I feel just absolutely fine or I don't feel fine. I take thyroid medication. I still have all these symptoms and my blood tests are normal. So how can there be a thyroid connection? Well, what researchers are finding is that there's an immune response to the thyroid. It's called Hashimoto's, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, named after Dr. Hashimoto Hakuru in 1904. And this chronic immune inflammation to the thyroid can present with normal thyroid numbers. It can also cause frank hypothyroidism. But what researchers are finding is that it's the immune component to the thyroid that's per se the issue. So if you have rheumatoid arthritis, you get that you have an autoimmune condition. Autoimmune means the immune system is attacking our own 
body. Our immune system is never supposed to attack our own body at a high level. Okay. And we have millions of checks and balances, folks, within our immune system to prevent that from happening. But for whatever reason, these autoimmune issues are becoming an epidemic in our current society. Everybody's wondering why is it the food supply? Is it antibiotics? Is it shots that we're receiving to, you know, prevent diseases? Is it stress? Is it accumulation? Is it lack of parasites? Are we too clean as a society? We don't really know. We just know that this epidemic of autoimmunity is on the rise. And so this immune response to the thyroid research are finding is as substantial as having low thyroid hormones. So you can take the thyroid hormones if you have a low thyroid, but you can still have this immune component that needs to be addressed. And this immune component to the thyroid, researchers are finding the immune cells can affect blood flow into the frontal lobes. Frontal lobes are where you think from. So you think brain fog. Brain fog is typically always an autoimmune condition or a histamine issue, which I can go into another broadcast. Think of allergy disorders. There's also associations between brain fog and small fiber neuropathy. That's being discussed now, too. But going along with the thyroid, this immune inflammation, think of immune missiles, immune missiles of your own body attacking your thyroid, creating inflammation in your body, causing you to feel fatigued, causing you to feel depressed, causing you to not be able to think. And they're seeing that these immune cells of thyroid are associated with other immune cells to the brain that may or may not be well-named in 2018. So researchers are just uncovering this, and they see that these immune cells of the thyroid substantially affect quality of life. And this really came to the forefront in 2014 Journal of Clinical Rheumatology. I think it was like January or February when this article came out. And researchers found that a large percentage of fibromyalgia patients had this condition called Hashimoto's, which made them wonder because the Hashimoto's connection, there's a lot of overlap. And then it came out in 2017, fantastic article, same journal, Clinical Rheumatology, where the authors took a large group of Hashimoto's thyroiditis patients. So they say, okay, you individuals tested positive as having Hashimoto's. Really, your thyroid hormones are normal, but we're seeing these high immune counts to the thyroid. And with that... They found that 62% fulfilled the criteria for having fibromyalgia. 62% of Hashimoto's patients fulfilled the criteria for having, excuse me, 62% of Hashimoto's patients fulfilled the criteria for having fibromyalgia. That's a staggering statistic, folks. And if you're a fibromyalgia patient sufferer out there, you need to know that you need to know how to get to the bottom of Hashimoto's. That's going to be a whole nother broadcast. There are connections to gluten. There are connections to other foods that we're seeing clinically. I think gluten's just the tip of the iceberg, and we're going to see more and more of that in the next decade. And then also there are connections between Hashimoto's and Epstein-Barr virus living in the thyroid. Other viruses living in the thyroid. Concepts of stress are being discussed as it pertains to Hashimoto's. So you kind of get to see this vicious cycle. Now I've talked about the PTSD and stress component, the gluten component. Well, gluten can connect to the thyroid. Journal Thyroid 2008, they looked at gluten antibody counts in patients who had thyroid problems, found a, a large overlap there. Go ahead and read that article. And... Uh, now you're seeing this vicious cycle, umbrella of conditions as fibromyalgia and which one of these topics applies to you and the insomnia as well, because when you have insomnia, then your pain inhibitory chemicals don't work as well. So I have a question from Dale. Uh, Dale said, I, I battled chronic pain for many years. My doctors have not been able to figure out what is causing my pain and testing MRIs all appear fairly normal. Do you have any thoughts on what may be going on? I'm very frustrated and just want to figure out what is the problem. Yeah, and MRIs being normal is so common with fibromyalgia patients. And you're thinking, well, if this is a neurological problem, if this is a, 
a brain problem. Why aren't the MRIs showing it? And, and you have to understand in this world of chronic pain, MRIs are there to assess for tumors, strokes, MS, things like that. That's what our standard MRI scans are looking for. And we run MRIs all the time on our patients because we have to rule those things out. You have to look at things when you're working in the alternative health setting. You have to still look at the diagnosis side and you have to look at the alternative side that I'm discussing today. But with the MRIs being normal doesn't mean that your brain is normal. And that's where a lot of studies on fibromyalgia, they're using something called an fMRI, which is a functional MRI where they can see how much blood flow goes to a certain part of your brain. And there are other imaging modalities being used, not only for fibromyalgia, but other conditions like post-concussion syndrome. They're also changing the way they interpret the MRI scans to look at how the nerve tracks, so to speak, function in a, in a detailed way. And just for example, there was a study done with fibromyalgia patients where they stimulated their hand. And they compared the stimulation from the hand, and they did a, I believe it was a functional MRI scan, to individuals who didn't have fibromyalgia, and they just stimulated the hand. And what they saw is that in the fibromyalgia patients, their emotional center connected very strongly to the sensory area, whereas in normal controls, they just saw the sensory area light up in the brain. It's called the parietal lobe, which is what we'd expect based on all the detailed neurophysiologic research that's been done for the last uh, 70, 80, 100 years. But in the fibromyalgia patients, that emotional suffering component came up, which you as a fibro sufferer, you, you need to get because that emotional suffering is so much of what you go through. And your brain gets hyper-connected between the sensory area and that emotional area. So now you're experiencing it. It's true. You're suffering, but you're coming off to your doctor as a complainer. So you kind of get the the dichotomy there. So I, I'm I'm not saying you're a complainer, but I'm just trying to illustrate this to you so you can really understand What's happening with your condition? So you have a little more lucidity there as it pertains to that. I'm going to touch on something real quick before I go into the nerve damage component uh, after this next break. But I just want to connect to Lyme disease. Anytime I talk about fibromyalgia, I get a lot of comments that uh, all fibromyalgia is caused by Lyme disease. Now, Lyme disease, this is going to be a whole other broadcast. Lyme disease is basically comes from the deer tick. It's the Borrelia burgdorferi uh, bacteria, and it can be transmitted from a tick bite. Uh, estimates by the CDC came out a few years ago where they found out it's way more common than we ever thought. There are two polarized groups in the Lyme world. One is the alternative Lyme group. They're referred to as ILADs or the Lyme literate medical doctors, and then there's your standard infectious disease specialist. And... In the alternative Lyme world, the ILADS world, it's kind of, it's a common notion that all fibromyalgia is due to Lyme disease. They're basically saying so many people are undiagnosed with Lyme disease and you haven't had the right testing. And the reality of the situation is that most of the testing is inaccurate that we have today. Whether you're being tested by a Lyme literate doctor, even the standard tests used by infectious disease specialists, the antibody tests we're seeing can be inaccurate. And people we know have been bitten by a tick, they have the bacteria, but the blood tests are not good. And that's where we're going more to cultures, lymph node cultures, things of that nature, because this Lyme bacteria destroys the lymph nodes. New data out of UC Davis. So with that being said, a fantastic article, I'm going to try and bring this up, from Arthritis and Rheumatology in 2015, and we have a minute left. They looked at a 100 
uh, Lyme disease sufferers, people who are confirmed as having Lyme disease. And they found that only 1%, basically one out of 100 individuals, fulfilled the criteria for fibromyalgia. So that's my data. Um, I treat Lyme disease. I've managed patients who have Lyme disease. It's an awful condition. Really, you need to know if you do have Lyme disease, it's an autoimmune problem. That needs to be the focus. But fibromyalgia, in my opinion, and based on the literature, is a distinct entity most of the time from Lyme disease. Now, again, Lyme disease is real, autoimmune, in large part immune suppression too, but fibromyalgia is, is disparate. So we're going to be talking about nerve damage relative to Jim's question in more detail. This is kind of one of the most exciting areas as it pertains to fibro. Thanks for listening. Again, seminars at Gates Way to Health in Henderson, Thursdays, 6 p.m., Saturdays, 10 a.m., 833-DR-GATES for a free consultation exam, month of March. Okay, we're back. Dr. Randall Gates, board-certified chiropractic neurologist, also a chiropractic physician at Gatesway to Health in Henderson, Nevada. Uh, I'm just going to say before we take our next caller, consider joining us for a free seminar on fibromyalgia. This is so common. Thank you, Jim, relative to fibromyalgia patients, in that there's this component of tingling. Frequently, I see fibro patients who have itching. If you have tingling and itching, these can be cardinal signs that you do have this condition called small fiber peripheral neuropathy. Now, most of you, if you know what peripheral neuropathy is, you think diabetes. That's the the lay perception on the condition. Diabetics get peripheral neuropathy where their nerves die and degenerate down in their feet because the high blood sugar levels affect blood flow to the nerves and then everything degenerates. You've seen the black legs of a diabetic. Really, in all reality, peripheral neuropathy Diabetes is only half the pie. The other half of the pie is upwards of 75 other different conditions. And so all those have to be thoroughly investigated. But when it comes to the world of fibromyalgia, we're finding that these, you need to understand distinction between small and large fibers when we're talking about peripheral nerves. Just think peripheral nerves are like electrical cables. They got to send signals from your brain down to your toes, right? If you want to wiggle your toes. Well, in that electrical cable, there are some cables that are big, in diameter, there are some cables that are small in diameter. The big diameter cables code things like vibration so or telling if your toes are going up and down. These functions are so important for balance. So if you've ever seen somebody who walks and it looks like they're stepping upstairs but they're just walking, that's because they may have a problem in communication of these pathways from these large diameter nerves up to their brain. Whereas the small fiber nerves transmit pain and temperature. And what we're seeing is that these small fiber nerves are damaged and degenerating in fibromyalgia patients. So relative to Jim's question, that may be what's going on. I can't say for sure. I haven't evaluated them. But the staggering statistic, this came out in 2013, Journal Pain, where they did this study where they went in and they took biopsies of skin out of fibromyalgia patients because the researchers started saying, fibromyalgia, nobody knows what's wrong with it, but there's a lot of overlap between these symptoms and small fiber peripheral neuropathy. And they found that 41% of fibromyalgia patients have small fiber peripheral neuropathy, i.e. nerve damage to pain nerves. Very, very, very big deal, uh, folks, when it comes to this issue. If you have fibromyalgia, I got to say, in my opinion, every fibromyalgia patient should be checked 
for small fiber peripheral neuropathy. And the exciting thing is that this research has then been validated year after year, different research centers showing, in essence, the same statistics. It ranges from the 30 percentile to 50 percent half of fibromyalgia patients having small fiber peripheral neuropathy, which is absolutely huge. So now the question of literature is, well, how do you rehab it? Well, the standard mainstream treatments for it are in essence, a lot of the same drugs that fibromyalgia patients are already being prescribed, which a lot of fibromyalgia patients, you may feel they're helpful. You may not if you're not better yet. And so that raises the question, well, can we rehabilitate these nerves? And this is something that I've been looking into intensely. There are signs that you can actually stimulate nerves to get more blood flow, maybe even to grow them. But lots of times it's going to be an exercise in futility. It's going to be a waste of time if you don't address the cause of the nerve damage. And the cause of the nerve damage in fibromyalgia patients appears to be, guess, autoimmune. So I've talked about gluten reactions, autoimmune. Reactions to the thyroid, autoimmune. It appears from the literature that there's some sort of immunological dysfunction promoting the small fiber neuropathy. So now you're the fibromyalgia patient out there and you have tingling, maybe like Jim was saying, or you have, you know, the itching sensations, or maybe you don't even have it. Maybe you just have the joint pain. And we're seeing that this small fiber neuropathy is the tissue lesion. It's the holy grail that we've been looking for in the fibromyalgia world. Going one step further, uh, research out of Annals of Neurology 2014, they did a, a kind of an uncommon type of nerve testing technique. It's called micro-neurography, micro-neurography. And they found that the pain receptors themselves were also dysfunctioning at a high level in fibromyalgia patients. In fact, 76% of fibromyalgia patients had pain receptor dysfunction. Also a staggering statistic. So now your pain receptors, three quarters of you probably uh, have, you know, the pain receptor dysfunction, half of fibromyalgia patients approximately have small fiber neuropathy. A large percentage of you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is where your immune system is attacking your thyroid. Another large percentage has PTSD. And how many elements, insomnia, gluten problems, how many elements of this Venn diagram, so to speak, are overlapping to create your condition known as fibromyalgia. And this is why fibromyalgia is so misunderstood because all of you are not the same. All of you don't have the same problem. Unfortunately, in healthcare, we're becoming kind of cookbook where as doctors, we're looking for quick answers because as doctors, we're forced, in essence, to see patients quickly. It's not your doctor's fault. Your doctors care. Your doctors are incredibly bright. They're doing everything they can to help you with what they know, okay? But the system facilitates them only spending so much time with you. Your condition's misunderstood, and so that's why a lot of you are given medications and told to see a psychologist. But hopefully from listening to this, you can get a better idea exactly what's happening with your condition. And maybe some of these things that I'm talking about, do they relate to you? These are topics that you can discuss with your doctor. These are topics that you can talk to your specialist about. These are topics that you can come to us because this is what we do. We work with fibromyalgia patients I've seen. I've evaluated over a couple thousand people who have chronic pain and chronic neurological disorders. Fibromyalgia being one of the biggest groups. And it's one of the things that I enjoy working with most because it takes somebody who has chronic unrelenting pain, chronic insomnia, the depression associated with it, the brain fog, the irritable bowel syndrome, just feeling like crap, hair falling out, gaining weight, and to take someone like that and get them out of pain, back on the road to recovery, feeling really well again, 
getting their life back, getting their relationships back with their, their spouses and their kids and doing the things they love to do. I can't tell you, I don't know if there's anything more gratifying, not for me. Um, and that's why I really, when I'm pedantic, I've delved into the research because I'm searching for answers for this condition. So again, I hope you found this helpful. Dr. Randall Gates, board-certified chiropractic neurologist, one of 500 in the world approximately. And we're at Gateway to Health. You can find us at 833-DR-GATES, 833-DR-GATES for free seminars Thursday nights, Saturday mornings in the month of March, as well as free exams and consultations in the month of March. So I hope you found this helpful. Let us know your questions. And um, you can like our Facebook page. You can watch me on YouTube. I have videos there under Gateway to Health. And I really appreciate you listening in. We'll be back next Sunday morning at 7 a.m. for another exciting broadcast from Gateway to Health. Thanks for listening.